Hello, and welcome to Workforce Insights with Employ Milwaukee Podcast. My name is Shaitania Brown, and I serve as the president and CEO of Employ Milwaukee, the local workforce development board serving Milwaukee County. Central to the stability of municipalities across the country are our local governments. The role of local government has certainly been amplified even more during these past few months of increased public health and safety concerns. Tough decisions are being made seemingly weekly by the government and as they grapple between decisions pertaining to community safety and citizens' freedoms. Today, I am so, so excited to be joined by special guest, also known as my alderman, City of Milwaukee Common Council President Cavalier Chevy Johnson. To hear more about local government during these times, Cavalier was first elected to office as alderman of the 2nd District in 2016 and having run his next campaign unopposed, was elected to second term by the citizens of the 2nd District and as Common Council President by his colleagues in April of 2020. As a Milwaukee native, Cavalier has been longtime active in the community. Prior to his role as alderman, Cavalier served as a community outreach liaison for city government, working with community and faith leaders to find creative solutions to some of Milwaukee's most pressing issues facing families from all walks of life. Cavalier also served at-risk youth, entering into the workforce for the first time and adults retooling their skills to access improved career opportunities at the Milwaukee Area Workforce Investment Board, now known as Employ Milwaukee. So welcome, President Johnson. I am so delighted to have you, my for- not only as my alderman, but you were also my former intern working here at, at that time, Milwaukee Area Workforce Investment Board. So I'm so happy to, to have you join us today. You've come a long way since your days as an intern here at Employ, and um, congratulations on your success. I can attest to the conversations we had as you were thinking about politics as your career pathway. And so tell us, how has your background in workforce development informed you in your role as alderman and now as Common Council president? Well, uh, first of all, let me thank you, uh, Shaitania, um, for you know, bringing me on and, and Tim, who I've known for a long time as well. Um, I think Tim actually for a time served in this office um, you know, for a previous Common Council president. And uh, I'd say my experience with um, What's now Employ Milwaukee goes back even farther than uh, when it was called the uh, Milwaukee Area Workforce Investment Board. I started off as an intern with a pick. Yeah, uh, back in 2005, I think it was my first internship uh, in college. So, I was very fortunate uh, enough to uh, be presented the opportunity through the Earn and Learn program to uh, be an intern there. Um, starting off was now was a a freshman in college when I was in town uh, and not elsewhere in the country or elsewhere in the world uh, doing service. Uh, projects and the like. How has workforce development informed my my work as an alderman and as coming council president, just generally working in city government uh, and on the city council here um, in so many different ways? Um, because, you know, my thought and understanding is that uh, the real issues around workforce development uh, directly affect quality of life issues that folks face on a daily basis in their lives in our neighborhoods across Milwaukee. Uh, when you talk about uh, workforce development, um, that talks about transportation and the uh, responsibility it is for people in local office like myself uh, and the county executive uh, and the like to fight for greater connections for people who live in uh, depressed uh, and impoverished zip codes and neighborhoods to have access to uh, jobs. And we're not just talking about, um, you know, opportunities for them to work in, you know, 
these uh, lower end jobs where they have mm-hmm. to work two and three jobs uh, in order to make ends meet. We're talking about making sure they get connected to uh, family supporting jobs with living wages, mm-hmm. uh, with good benefits. And when you do that, uh, when you build up those uh, hard skills, uh, when you also build up those soft skills and you make people employment ready uh, and they have access to those opportunities for work, uh, they're more likely to be either a long-term renter uh, or purchase uh, a home. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, that creates stability in neighborhoods, which uh, when you have stability in neighborhoods and they're not so porous uh, and so transient, that translates into public safety. Uh, so there's so many different uh, uh, intersections between workforce development and the work that we do uh, every single day in government. While I know this, can you tell our listeners what factors led to your decision to pursue a career in politics? And then what's your vision as Common Council president? Yeah, um, that's a that's a good question. I'm, I'm happy that you that you asked it. Um, I often go back to you know, my time growing up in Milwaukee and having the opportunity, not just with um, uh, Employ Milwaukee, uh, but with the YMCA and so many other great organizations that I had the opportunity to be involved with uh, as I came up here. Um, as a matter of fact, I typically wear you know this wristband uh, every single day. It's a green wristband. Uh, it's kind of faded now because I <laughs> have worn it for so many years, but um, it has the four core values of the YMCA, uh, Metropolitan Milwaukee, where I started mm-hmm. um, about 20 years ago. My birthday is actually next week, and I've been kind of reflecting on this. And uh, I was, I'll was i be 34 years old. You're getting old, was, my friend. <laughs> I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, you know, I'll be, I'll be 34. And uh, I got started in service when I was 14. Uh, is because I got, uh, I was recruited into this, uh, pre-college program for low-income students, uh, in Milwaukee, um, that was run by the YMCA. And the goal of that program was to get, uh, young people involved in, uh, community service. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was also, you know, looking to get those same kids involved, uh, with their education and getting them to be the first people in their family to go off to college. Uh, well, I fell in love with the community service, uh, aspect of it. I mean, I just really ate it up. I know that, uh, you know, for a 14 year old kid, um, you know, many, many don't necessarily enjoy getting up on Saturday mornings early to go, you know, feed the homeless or help seniors to rake leaves or shovel snow. But I really ate it up. And so I knew that, yeah, service was was probably the uh, area where I was going to go. That also helped me, you know, eventually to get uh, involved with uh, with the pick back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that politics sort of came involved in it, because in that same year, 2001, 9-11 happened. And I watched President Bush go to what was left of the World Trade Center. And um, he, he just had this way about him. And he, and he sort of brought people together. And immediately when I saw uh, you know, President Bush you know, doing that, I said, that was it. I, I, I could go into government because I could get up every single morning and I could have a career where I got up and I brought people together and served people. And, I, and that was meshed with, you know, the community service that I was doing uh, with the YMCA. So mm-hmm. um, so I just never look back uh, from that from that time. I, my mind was you know, pretty dead set um, when I was uh, when I was 14 year old kid. And mm-hmm. uh, by the way, again, that was 2001. So that was you know, a couple of years before I'd even heard the name. Uh, Barack Obama. 
And so I was thinking, you know, as a 14 year old Chevy is like, oh, you know, I'm going to be the first African-American president, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, uh, well, you know, I, I got beat, <laughs> of course, um, with that. But so I'll, I'll, I'll happily just be uh, president of the <laughs> Milwaukee County Council. <laughs> and so what's your vision vision um, for the Common Council now that you're president? It, uh, you know, 2020 has been just such a, a, a magnificent um, and terrible year. At the same uh, time, you're right. All, yeah, all, all at once. I mean, we had the opportunity to become uh, Common Council president uh, and win re-election without uh, any opposition. Um, but of course, we're in the throes of a, a horrible, deadly uh, global yes. health pandemic um, that has run roughshod over virtually every aspect of our society, um, including the way that we're voting um, you right. know, in the election that takes place uh, next week. But when I became uh, city council president uh, in April, it also happened to be that uh, a number of my friends uh, people that I have known for years, uh, in the case of the county executive, David Crowley, about about 20 years because we went to high school together, um, and uh, a number of years, certainly, for the new um, chairwoman of the Milwaukee County Board of Supervisors, Marcelia Nicholson. And we all you know, sort of came in uh, at the same time. And, um, you know, they're at the county and I'm at the city. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I understand that, uh, and they understand, too, that, you know, just because we may be serving at different levels of government, there certainly is crossover Mm -hmm. in terms of the services that we provide and the services that they provide. So um, since I've been on the council, even though this is not necessarily a a target area for city um, investment or for uh, city administration, uh, I am constantly an advocate for for transit. Um, And as common council president, one of the things that I typically, you know, try to advocate for is for robust, fully funded and far reaching public transit. Mm -hmm. Um, Because even though, you know, when folks get on a a bus that's operated by Milwaukee County, but those are city of Milwaukee uh, residents. And that's my responsibility. Um, And, and, you know, I'm an advocate for that for the reasons that we just mentioned earlier in terms of workforce development. Um, One of the things that we sponsored uh, last year, and it's gotten a lot of traction, uh, won a number of awards, was the creation of an office on early childhood initiatives, because it's always been my thought that, you know, in order to have a firm foundation to build off of, uh, that foundation has to be made out of employment as well as education. I think the city should be taking a stronger uh, approach to making sure that every young person uh, in Milwaukee has access to quality to access to a quality early childhood education. And so we mm-hmm. created the Office of Early Childhood Initiatives at the city of Milwaukee. We housed it in the library. Uh, it's been doing incredible work. The mayor's uh, proposed budget for 2021 moves that office um, from the library into the mayor's office, raising mm-hmm. its profile and uh, attempting to draw in additional funders uh, for that purpose, which uh, again, is something that I championed and something I'm very uh, happy about. I've been sort of like uh, one of the environmental uh, people, uh, supporters on the council. Mm-hmm. We proposed and got passed a uh, ban, although it was kind of uh, overshadowed by the uh, pandemic uh, when it came into effect, uh, a ban on uh, plastic straws uh, in Milwaukee. Um, and there currently is, you know, health department uh, enforcement and education on that. 
but we'll continue to work at that because we want to make sure that we're doing all that we can to take plastics out of our environment because they do no good. Mm -hmm. Um, They are around forever. They're going to be in landfills for 500 years. Uh, Plastic bags, of course, uh, litter our streets and suffocate our trees and harm wildlife, uh, not just here, but uh, elsewhere uh, in the country, especially around large bodies of water, be they lakes, Great Lakes or oceans. Um, So that's an area that uh, we continue to focus on. Uh, I'm interested in working on improving our business improvement districts. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a there's a workforce uh, development aspect to that as well, because uh, my belief is that when people come back to our community uh, after serving a sentence, they deserve a second chance. And the people most likely to give them a second chance are the people who operate businesses in the neighborhoods where they live. You know, they get to know them the best. And so if we can spruce up and provide more technical assistance and funding for business improvement districts, I think not only does that help us to, you know, make sure that we're encouraging people to spend their dollars locally uh, in Milwaukee and on our commercial corridors also provides a job opportunity for people uh, who have come back to Milwaukee from, um, from incarceration. I have always been an advocate for gun reform, and we just saw uh, just a couple of weeks ago another uh, mass shooting uh, right. in Milwaukee. Uh, at a um, a funeral home uh, over on Fond du Lac Avenue, mm-hmm. um, you know, unfortunately, you know, uh, city government does not control gun law. It's a state issue, um, and so we need to continue to you know have that conversation with the state in order to get reforms. Because you know, when when they pass laws, they may have a different effect in rural uh, communities that don't face the same sort of situations that we do in urban areas like Milwaukee. But they do have an effect in urban areas like Milwaukee, and so that needs to be uh, addressed. I am tuned with uh, working to uh, reform uh, law enforcement, to reform policing, um, not just here in Milwaukee, but across the state uh, for the exact reasons that people are today, you know, marching in the streets uh, of, our, of our city. So uh, there are a number of areas um, that I'm interested in working on. And uh, I mean, I could, we could... Run the run the whole uh, right. podcast talking about things that I want to do. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, one of the things you mentioned is near and dear to me, and that was a priority when I um, came back to employ is around reentry and programming and opportunity for that population. Because again, if we want to truly reduce recidivism, then we have to be able to make sure opportunity training jobs are available for those individuals who are returning citizens to our communities are able to have rapid attachment to. So I'm glad to hear that being a priority of yours. Um, Turning the the topic a little bit, uh, this COVID-19 pandemic has truly caught us all by surprise. I mean, no one would have thought here we would sit in November still battling, probably in our worst space with this pandemic. Um, and, and it's required every sector and industry to pivot in some way, shape, form, or fashion. What's been the biggest challenge for you and the Common Council to, could, to effectively continue to govern during this time? One of the most interesting things um, about my presidency is that, um, you know, we have a very beautiful uh, and ornate city council chamber uh, in Milwaukee. You know, this building uh, goes back to 1895. And, um, you know, I, I've sat uh, in that chamber for a number of council meetings uh, over the course of the uh, term, the four years that I have been in office. And now, of course, um, continuing that on after my reelection in April. 
Um, but I have yet to uh, preside over a common council meeting sitting in that chamber with my colleagues. It hasn't mm-hmm. happened. Uh, and that's because of the coronavirus pandemic. Like a lot of uh, industry sectors that you mentioned, the public sector is hit hard by this as well. We don't have the opportunity to sit down and to be face-to-face with colleagues. I mean, I have colleagues that I haven't physically seen uh, in person um, in literally months, mm-hmm. literally months uh, since March. And with the rising cases uh, in uh, Wisconsin, uh, with our state being one of the coronavirus hotspots, uh, it's likely to remain that way where mm-hmm. you know, we, we could go on the better part of a year without physically actually seeing each other or being in the same in the same space. So uh, our committee meetings uh, have gone virtual uh, in a format very similar to uh, the one that we're using now. Um, there are, you know, alders who are uh, wielding gavels and running uh, uh, committee meetings, doing the city's, bu- the city's business from, you know, their kitchen table. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's really impacted our uh, typical way of operating. I mean, in our, in the city clerk's office, common council city clerk's office, we have roughly 80% of our staff who are working remotely, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, even right now, like I'm you know here in the office in the president's office uh, at city hall. Um, I think typically uh, for, you know, interviews or things like this, we may you know, be in the same space, but right. that's not, ha- but that's not <laughs> happening right now, obviously. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it, but the, the public sector has certainly not uh, been an exception to right. being hit by uh, coronavirus and having to pivot in our way of operating uh, around it. At a local level, as an alderman, now as a uh, common council president, what's your view on the relationship between government and employment and the business community? You touched on it a little bit. And, you know, can you just um, expand on that a little bit? And then what role do you believe local government play in job creation and retention? We have um, at the local level, a we have some uh, ability to impact that, although um, the larger headways, the larger trends in terms of creating jobs um, is going to fall on the state and uh, federal government um, and just the state of the economy uh, at the time in order to do. Uh, but there certainly are things that local government can do in order to affect positive job growth. Um, even though you know the public school system is not uh, a part of city government, I mean, people make decisions about whether or not they're going to start a business, whether or not they're going to locate to a community, or whether they're going to move away from a community based on the education system. And so, while that's not you know city government, that certainly is uh, uh, an aspect of local government's influence on workforce, business creation, and retention of talent. Um, we talked, as you mentioned a little bit ago, about um, the availability of, you know, fully funded and far-reaching public transit in order to get people from the neighborhoods where they live um, to uh, family-supporting job opportunities. You know, that is directly uh, a responsibility of local government to make sure that those connections uh, are there. Um, you know, unfortunately, in a state like ours, you know, where the, you know, uh, the level of encumbrance that we receive sometimes from from our state. We're not able to do that as effectively as we would like to do, mm-hmm. uh, but that certainly is within the wheelhouse of local government to uh, provide. There are other programs that the city of Milwaukee has created. What comes to mind are the Compete Milwaukee program, trying to create a pipeline mm-hmm. again, for people who are you know, re-entering uh, society or trying to re-enter the workforce to 
have some job experience underneath their, their belt and create a pipeline into uh, employment with city departments. Um, that is a job creation mechanism mm-hmm. uh, that local government uh, employs. Uh, another uh, job creation uh, metric, especially for people who are unemployed or underemployed in communities like ours, is uh, our RPP, our Residence Preference mm-hmm. Program on Large-Scale Development. So uh, think about the Northwestern Mutual Tower uh, downtown, the newest uh, skyscraper uh, in Milwaukee, uh, right downtown on the lake. Uh, took some time to build that. Took a lot of you know uh, human power uh, in order to get that uh, building from the ground up. And uh, because there was some city financing attached to that, uh, there was a responsibility of Northwestern Mutual's uh, contractors and developers to work directly with organizations like uh, Employ mm-hmm. to get people who were unemployed uh, or underemployed onto uh, job opportunities to, to build that building. Mm-hmm. You know? And that happened because of local government. So right. uh, there are things that we can do. I mean, even the, 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 uh, the, bid, um, the bid power-up that I mentioned, this, uh, you know, uh, business improvement district uh, improvement concept that, that I talked about earlier, uh, making those sort of investments would, I believe, lead to job creation uh, on, on commercial uh, corridors in our neighborhoods that could positively affect uh, our residents. So uh, certainly not to the degree, again, of the state or federal government, but, there's, but there are things that we can do to influence the creation of jobs and the retention of talent uh, in, our, in our community. Absolutely. Absolutely. So changing the corner a little bit, you know, the killing of George Floyd, it touched off a wave of civic unrest across the country. He's not the first uh, situation, but he's one of the ones that's catapulted um, our country in, in the civic unrest, including Milwaukee. And it's called for police reform, racial reckoning, equity and justice for black Americans there were also calls for some sectors of the community for drastic measures to be taken, such as defunding our police. How have you and your colleagues as government officials engaged your constituents with both understanding the discussions and differing views of that opinion of to defund the police? Before the terrible incident involving uh, Mr. Floyd in Minneapolis uh, earlier this year, um, there was a call to defund the police or reallocate uh, uh, resources from the police department to other areas uh, of our society uh, the year prior. Um, And the ask at that time was not $75 million, which was the ask this year. It was uh, $25 million. Being that I am as active uh, as an alderman, um, as an elected official, um, as I am, I had the benefit of being able to take that proposal and uh, the things that the uh, the activists who were pushing it out to a, a number of uh, community meetings that I was hosting on a monthly basis uh, in my district. In addition to uh, continually going door to door, knocking uh, to talk to people, even outside of an election. On top of that, having uh, at the time uh, in district office hours for residents to be able to come and speak to me directly. In addition to that, uh, answering the phone uh, in the office uh, and emails uh, myself in order to get a feel about what folks thought uh, about proposals like that. Then the conversation was, uh, or the response rather from the constituents was that it should not happen. Over, It was overwhelming that that was not the direction that uh, my constituency uh, wanted to go. Uh, when you fast forward you know, a year and we talk about what's happened uh, with George Floyd, mm-hmm. um, and now we can't 
you know, have the gatherings in terms of community meetings that we were uh, last year. But that doesn't prevent me from having the opportunity to reach out to constituents to hear their voice on a matter as important as this, as a matter of public safety. I mean, removing $75 million would effectively cut the police department in half. And that's a conversation that, uh, you know, we really need to have, that we really need to talk about with our constituents. And so I informed them again about the priority areas that uh, activists wanted to uh, invest that funding in, uh, whether they be in the health department, uh, whether they be in housing uh, and housing co-ops and the like. Still, uh, the pushback that I get from the people that I represent um, is that it should not happen, at least not to that degree. Mm -hmm. But they do understand, though, and, and I give my constituency a lot of credit here is that they do understand that there needs to be a realignment in mm -hmm. the relationship between law enforcement and the community. Right. I mean, when I think about uh, what happened with George Floyd and the fact that, you know, that was caught on camera, it makes me think back to Bloody Sunday. It makes me think back to John Lewis mm -hmm. and the strategy at the time. He and Dr. King was to get the eyes of the nation uh, on the horrible uh, practices that law enforcement across the country uh, we're employing against people who are merely protesting for equal protection under the law, right. you know, and that changed the narrative. And uh, what happened to George Floyd did the exact same thing, I think. And so uh, my constituency believes that there needs to be reforms, large scale reforms in the police department. I think uh, generally they are OK and understand that there probably needs to be a smaller force and a uh, and a force with a uh, with more tools uh, at his disposal, mm -hmm. having uh, violence interrupters, having mental health clinicians who are able to go uh, and help out on incidents like that. So they want to move, they want to move forward, mm -hmm. um, but they don't want to do it all in one fell swoop um, because they don't, they, they don't want law enforcement to be broken uh, as we strive right. to achieve that ultimate goal. But the council, I will say, and I give, you know, members here a lot of credit too for the work um, that they have done um, trying to address, you know, some of these issues. Uh, you know, the council has put forward a number of policy proposals for the Fire and Police Commission, which ultimately oversees police and fire uh, in Milwaukee, not the city council. Um, we put forward a number of proposals for them to consider um, in terms of um, having a stated uh, policy for de-escalation, which currently the Milwaukee Police Department does not, uh, having a written ban on chokeholds, mm -hmm. um, which I believe currently the Milwaukee Police Department does not, um, having a continuum of force so that you don't go from you know, a verbal conversation to a gun. There have to be steps, you know, graduated force in between. So it's you know, verbal commands, you know, perhaps the, the baton, then perhaps uh, pepper spray, you know, then perhaps a taser, then, you know, to a gun, not, you know, from zero to a hundred, you know, um, that way. So there've been a number of things that we've put forward and the fire and police commission is, you know, currently looking over uh, a number of those proposals, including one that I put forward, uh, which would have the police department to abide by these eight can't wait uh, policies. It's a national uh, platform that uh, when enacted, when each of these policies is enacted, lowers the possibility that uh, there's going to be violent interactions between police and the communities that they serve. But I think it's important for folks to understand, too, that there are certain things that are outside of our purview. Right. Again, you know, those things we cannot implement. It takes the Fire and Police Commission to do. And then there are other things that are governed by the state. 
For instance, literally half of the police in Milwaukee live outside of the city. And I don't think that that's good. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a good thing at all. I think that's a terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason that that's in place is because of state law. They removed a residency rule that we had on the books for 75 years. And we didn't have, you know, any back. We didn't have any you know, vacancy rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had you know, long lines of people still looking to serve as police officers. They were willing to move into the city to be a part of the neighborhoods that they protect and serve. Now the opposite is happening where, you know, people raise their right hand to protect and serve communities, but they don't even want to live next door to, you know, they'd rather live in other communities. Um, So I think that is, is dangerous, but we can't change that. That's, that's state law, but we will continue advocating for that. And that's good to know um, because it's important. You know, I just think about being a young kid growing up in our view of the police as children to where people view the police now. I mean, you know, when you had those career days and, you know, people aspired to do that. And if you ask young people now, the the viewpoint that we had many years ago might be slightly different. And so um, that's good to know that that's at the peripheral. So just thinking about the George Floyd incident and how many um, organizations, companies, both public and private, have started to look at their own internal well-being and seeing, you know, how diverse is their staff? Where are they when it comes to equity and inclusion? Um, has there been any triggers with local um, legislation rel- relative to increasing diversity, equity, and inclusion um, in local government? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, so actually, before any of this happened, uh, Alderman Khalif Rainey, who at the time was a Milwaukee County supervisor before he was elected to the city council, created the Office of African-American Affairs uh, mm-hmm. over at Milwaukee County. And he had the foresight to create a, uh, an office by the same name here at the city of Milwaukee uh, as well that can go into the neighborhood, uh, be a resource, be a hub, uh, whereby people in our communities can reach out to um, that office and get direct assistance and service with things like uh, jobs, um, like um, uh, benefit, uh, benefits, um, you, know, it, you know, check-ins where they need, um, you know, a, a library to educate them on the history of African-Americans in Milwaukee and in the United States and so many other things. In addition to that, uh, one of the things that I was interested in working on in uh, this in this budget for 2021 was the creation of an office on equity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we can, like, as you said, you know, uh, uh, look at those things internally, not just externally, like the mm-hmm. Office of African-American Affairs working directly with you know, folks in our neighborhoods, but we need to take a look on the inside as well. And that's where that Office uh, of Equity and Inclusion you know, would come into place. You know, I was thrilled uh, to know that uh, the mayor included that proposal in uh, his budget for 2021. And so come next year, we'll have that office, you know, getting off the ground, getting running and really looking at um, what's happening internally in the city of Milwaukee to make sure that we're tackling those issues around racial equity and inclusion. So uh, changing the corner again on you um, as we round out our questions, tell my listeners what leadership legacy do you aspire to leave? Just thinking about where you've come from, where you are, where you're looking to go. What's the legacy that you want to leave behind? What I would like to leave behind is uh, a legacy that tells uh, people, particularly 
particularly young people who come from neighborhoods like I did in 53206 um, and living in some of the you know, roughest parts of Milwaukee and, and experiencing uh, some terrible things uh, growing up, um, knowing what it's like to be in a home where there's you know no lights on or no heat at the time uh, in the winter when you're young, uh, been in a house with multiple siblings and nothing to eat. Uh, and the very few things that you did have to eat have to go to the youngest uh, folks, uh, the youngest kids in the house, of course, to violence in the street, uh, familial uh, violence as well, um, you know, bearing witness to gun violence and having family members who have been incarcerated and uh, moving around, I mean, more times than I can count. Don't let those things stop you. I, I would hope that um, my example is that, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter what neighborhood you come from. It doesn't matter what obstacles have been you know, put in front of you. You too can achieve. You too can excel. Um, and that uh, doesn't, you're not, that's not defined by any one piece of uh, legislation uh, or any one, uh, you know, uh, office that's created. Um, it's about a belief in self. Mm-hmm. And my belief in self has gotten me to this point uh, so far in my career. And I just want to empower young people in Milwaukee, uh, especially to believe and to understand uh, and to know that um, if they have that same belief in self, you know, they can and will be in this office or, mm-hmm. or doing anything that they set their minds out to do. And Chevy, it is so wonderful to hear you say that because our young people need to hear you don't have to be where you came from. Um, So many times, you know, people see that as a barrier to them being able to move forward. And to a certain extent, it may take you a little longer, but you do not have to be where you came from. And I personally can speak and you know it's, it, it warms my heart to see where you are today because again my first experience with you was you coming over to at that time private industry council as an intern working with us and I've sat with you in many days and you know I'm, I'm you know I smiled when I you know you became alderman and then eventually president and then my other intern was Mandela Barnes who's now our lieutenant governor and there's many days where i had you two whether it be at lunch or in my office and just thinking back to those conversations and to get a letter from him as lieutenant governor congratulating me on my position to be the president and ceo of the organization that connected us all together but for me to see my young mentees grow and be on a career pathway in politics, that warms my heart. But it also tells me I'm getting old. <laughs> so. And that you do a good job. <laughs> I mean, you got the president of the council as your alderman and your other one is lieutenant governor. Come on. <laughs> right. Right. And so um, but I am so thankful to have you come on board and for young people to hear. Like you said, you got a birthday coming up. and You're only turning 34. So you're not really old. I'm just messing with you in that <laughs> In that regard, but young people need to hear that. They need to hear that people who come from whether it's 53206 or any other zip code uh, with high
high, you know, unemployment in those areas and high areas where, you know, there's violence that you can achieve if you believe and have the mindset by which to do so. And there's programs and opportunities to get latched on to that can catapult you on a pathway to become your best self, whatever that is for you as an individual. And so as we close, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with? I think you've said a lot, but is there any parting words that you have? I think it's important for folks to, to, to understand too. I think some folks will, will can look and say, oh, well, that's easy because he's there. You know, he, 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 he's in that position. So that's easy for him. Um, even though I described, you know, some of the things that I experienced and saw um, growing up, um, I I would be remiss to to leave this without telling uh, you know your listeners that the key the key element to you know getting here or to where you are you know now or to where you know your other mentee, the lieutenant governor, is is to not give up. Is to don't don't give up. Don't have any quit. Like you, you have to be your number one cheerleader. You have to believe in yourself and you cannot stop. Like I said, I, I've been at this for, for, tw- for 20 years. Okay. Um, in terms of being interested in serving in, in public office, you know, in doing this work. When I got out of college, I ran uh, for County board and I lost really bad, like really, really bad. Um, the next year I had another opportunity to run. I didn't give up. And I lost that time worse than I lost the first time. Like I got crushed. Like it was not even, it was ugly. It, I got my face kicked in. It was bad. Um, but you stay, you stay at it. You stay mm-hmm. at it. You just do not give up. And, you know, eventually your, your work pays off, but you, you have to, you have to right. keep at it. And some folks uh, experience is going to take longer than others, but you have to be committed. You have to be determined. You have to be persistent. Those are the keys to success. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Cavalier Johnson, Cavalier Chevy Johnson, because we call you Chevy. (laughs) Um, Thank you again for gracing us with your time. And I just look forward to working with you in the future as the new Common Council president and on workforce development um, issues pertaining to our city. So thank you again. Excellent. Thank you, Shaitania. Thanks for listening to Workforce Insights, where workforce development is our business. Make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about Milwaukee, visit www.EmployMilwaukee.org. That's www.EmployMilwaukee.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next time with a new episode.